You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. So we continue our series, Game Night. We've been talking about the games that we play and different things like that. And so, we've, and so this week we're talking about the game Sorry. Any of y'all ever played the game Sorry? Yeah. Our family is a game family. We like to play games. As a matter of fact, we had to take a hiatus recently um, because we're hyper-competitive gaming family. And when you start throwing your brothers and sisters around the room and in love, <clears throat> you have to take a break. And, uh, and then when mom starts doing little stuff in your face when she wins, it's like, okay, it's time. Let's take, make it a movie night. But here's the game. Sorry. It's actually an old Indian game, Native American Indian game. It's kind of built off of Parcheesi kind of an idea. And um, so as you can see, it's called Sorry. And uh, what I think is kind of awesome is actually the subtitle of it is The Game of Sweet Revenge. And um, as you know, if you play the game of sorry, one of the things is, one of the objectives is to take the pawns or the pieces of other people. And uh, when you do that, you're supposed to say, sorry, you know, which is kind of like, you're not really sorry. And um, so there we go. But if you have, you've played it, it's this game where, you know, hey, there's four pieces. You get four pieces. I think there's four teams. And you try to get around from safety to home and you win. And along the way, you want to take people out. And that's the fun part of the game. It's not actually winning. It's actually taking other people out and um, saying you're sorry, especially if you love them. Um, it's really fun. Have any of you heard this phrase, revenge is a dish served best cold or best served cold? Y'all heard that? And this is that idea that revenge should be slow boiled. And that is how many of us live our life is that we slow boil the offenses that other people have, that have offended us. We let them slow boil so that one day we hope at just the right time we can exact revenge. Or better yet, that even God would exact revenge. And so we stoke the coals for a long time hoping that God will do. Because we want buckets of forgiveness, but we don't want to give it to anybody else. And so revenge is a dish best served cold. But sorry in real life is, is something that we have a tendency to say but many times don't mean. So let me give you a couple of phrases. I'm sorry I made a mistake, but really what we're saying is I'm sorry that I got caught and that there's some consequences. Or what about I'm sorry it shouldn't have ever happened. You know, again, I'm sorry you caught me in this act and there's going to be something about it. Or I'm sorry for what I said, but... We hear this a lot now, don't we? I'm sorry that what I really think on the inside actually came out and I tweeted it or I said it really quickly, but it's not really what I think. But now we have to apologize and we don't ever really apologize. We just say, hey, I'm sorry that what I really think actually came out. Too many times our apologies are, I feel bad that I've been found out, but you're making too much of this. And we, we want to make ourselves um, scapegoats or whatever. And these apologies have a tendency to shift blame 
to anyone and to everyone except ourselves. So this morning, I want us to think about this idea of forgiveness and accepting responsibility for the areas where we need to receive forgiveness, but also to offer forgiveness. So the first thing that I want you to get is this, is that forgiveness is more than saying, I'm sorry. Forgiveness is available to us when we seek it and when it's truly sought, but it's more than saying, I'm sorry. And there's two great stories, biblical stories, that illustrate this. The first one is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. As we know, Adam and Eve created by God, and after he created them, he gave them some directions to live in the garden. And the directions to live in the garden were, enjoy all of this, except this, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Enjoy all of this, this is not for you. And so for however long, we don't know how long, it could have been a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, generations, who knows how long. They lived in the garden and were just not a problem. And then one day, this little serpent dude came up and he distorted God's truth to Eve. And so because of that distortion, she looked at the tree that they had maybe never looked at before in that light, saw it in a different light and became a temptation to them. And she partook of it. And guess what? Her husband, Adam, was hanging out right there, too, and heard the same instructions in the same directions. And he abdicated his role of spiritual leadership and saying, ah, 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 ah. no, 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 that is not for us. He stood by and watched her take it, and then he partook of it as well. And so here they are. They've sinned now. And all of a sudden, the moment that they ate of the tree of good and knowledge, of knowledge of good and evil, all of a sudden they recognized, they looked at each other, and they saw each other with different eyes. They realized in that moment that they were vulnerable, naked. You could see them in a different way. And all before that had never even acknowledged it, never even understood it. And so now they hear God walking in the garden, which they'd heard before, He'd come to fellowship, and I'm sure that they had before, they had cleaned the tables, and they'd brewed the Keurig Starbucks stuff, and they were ready for God to show up, and they were ready to have dine with him and have a conversation with him. But this time they heard his footsteps, and something was different. They recognized that they were vulnerable, and that God could see all of them. And so what does it say? The scripture says they went and hid. And so here's where we join the story in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. And they, in this point, and says, who told you that you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, this is one of those parenting moments that it's a fun, I don't know that it's a fun moment, but it's a fun moment as a parent as you look back because you realize that you walk up on your child and they have blue faces. And you as a parent, like, I mean, the evidence is there. It is clear. Hey, did you eat the blueberries or did you eat the paint or the crayon, whatever it is that I told you not to partake of? Mm-mm. Right? And it's, and it's cute in a little video or whatever. But as a parent, you realize, hey, this is defiance. And so this is that moment that God's having with Adam and Eve is he shows up and he's like, hey, how did you know you were naked? Mm-mm. I don't know. And they're like throwing away the rinds of whatever fruit they ate. And their faces are all blue. 
And the man replied, he gives excuses, it was the woman. And all the women are like, "Mm mm-hmm, I've heard that before. And then guess what? He goes even a little further. He says, not only was it the woman, but it was the woman you gave me. And then she gave me the fruit, and then, okay, yeah, I ate it. But look at all the other things that are responsible before it gets to me. Sorry, but God, you gave me the woman, and it's your fault that I ate the fruit because yada, yada. You ever done that? We do that all the time. And here's where God is jealous for our affection. Because he knows in the moment that it just seems like an insignificant piece of fruit. But the intimacy of the fellowship has been broken and can never go back. And so now when they hear the footsteps of God, what used to bring them joy now brings them trepidation. And so the father is broken over the fact that, hey, listen, now you hear my footsteps and it used to bring you joy and you used to be ready to sup and to dine with me and to spend time with me. And now it makes you want to hide yourself and cover and run from me. And this is why God the father says, I am jealous for your affections. Don't pursue cheap trinkets when those things can never provide for you what I can provide for you. So this is our struggle as followers of Jesus. We desire an intimacy with God. Our souls yearn to sit at the table of God and to fellowship with him and be vulnerable with him and to know that he knows us and that we know him on a deep level. But, God, you gave me. And we build up excuses. And with each excuse, we push further and further away from the table of God. But we also know that to come close to the table of God, he has to wash our feet. And that's an intimate act. So most of us don't get close enough to the table because we want to hear the things of God and to know about God, but we don't want to allow him to wash our feet and draw near to the table to be intimate and to know him. And to literally break bread and to touch his hand as he passes the bread with us. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Again, not my fault, but the serpent deceived me. And she replied, that's why I ate it. Because he, he, he tricked me. Now listen, here's one of those little side theological things. I think Adam should have, as the spiritual leader of the household, in the knower of the truth as well, the two together in strength could have withstood. But he chose to abdicate his spiritual leadership in that moment. And that's something for us as men that we constantly have to encourage one another and have strength with one another to stand strong in moments where we are, the Satan is in our household trying to destroy it. And instead of standing strong, we abdicate spiritual leadership. And it's cost us from the beginning of time. And it's hard, but necessary. So forgiveness is more than saying, I'm sorry. Forgiveness is available to us when we truly seek it out. And Adam and Eve 
said they were sorry, but they placed the blame on other people. Now, there's another guy by the name of King David, and King David was someone who messed up. Who's someone who had an intimate relationship with God. He spent time with him. He knew him and was a man after God's own heart, but he messed up. And one of the things, one of the years he was at the top of his kingdomship. He was king of kings at the time. And one of the things in those days that kings did is every spring, kings went to war. They went to war to advance their kingdom or to protect their kingdom because it, was, it wasn't snowy. It wasn't whatever. It was the perfect time to, to go out in war. And so David, as the leader of his army, should have been out of the kingdom, should have been out of the city of David and advancing the kingdom and protecting the kingdom. But he didn't. He chose, hey, this year I'm going to stay in my house and I'm going to stay on top of the roof and I'm just going to chill out and let everyone else do the business and the work of the king. And so one of those evenings when he's back at home, he's, his place is up on a hill and he's looking down at the end of the evening and he's looking around and he's seeing, he says, ah, I see a young lady and she's kind of cute. He invites her to his house, which is an invitation that she could not refuse because of who he is, not necessarily because she was good looking. But she took the invitation in and a few Weeks later, we find out she was, as we said in the old days, in a family way. And because she was in a family way, all of a sudden, David's like, oh, no, my sins are going to be found out. Why would my sins be found out? Because David, Bathsheba's husband, had been sent away by David to the, to the lines, and he was fighting the war on David's behalf. And so he realizes, hey, Bathsheba's husband's not here there's no way that she could be in a family way unless something extra had happened. And so David sends word, hey, bring Uriah back. Let's let him celebrate a few months away and celebrate with his wife. And so hopefully this will cover over my sins. But Uriah stays responsible to the task and the job that he's been assigned. And he stays out there and says, I can't come back while my men are still here. And so he stays out there, and so David's like, oh, no, now what am I going to do? And so he takes Uriah, and he tells the other generals that are over him, and say, take him and his men and put them on the front lines, and when that fighting gets its heaviest, pull back and retreat and leave Uriah there by himself to die. Doesn't sound like a very good king. Doesn't sound like a man after God's own heart, does it? And so here David is about to have a child with Bathsheba. And Nathan, who was a prophet of the nation at the time, comes before David, and they're at Starbucks together having coffee. And Nathan shares a story with him. And as he's sharing the story, David's like, oh, there's just the, the anger and the just the rage with inside of David began to rage with inside of him. And at the end, Nathan's like, what do you think, David? And he's like, that guy should be... Murdered, he should be taken out because of all the bad things that he did. And Nathan said, this is you. And David's like, oh, <laughs> didn't catch that. And here's David's response in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Do you see the difference already? Have mercy on me. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For listen to this. For I 
recognize my rebellion. This is adulting Christianity 101. Own your stuff and acknowledge it and say, God, here's my cheap trinkets. I'm sorry. So that he can do the work in us that only he can do. It haunts me day and night. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so overwhelmed by your stuff that it haunts you? That you can't sleep? That you toss and you turn? It's the only thing that you can think about it just because you understand that you've settled for something else and that you've been sitting at the table of God and you've pushed away. To see your offense and to own it, it haunts me. One of the things about being in Israel that you'll notice is there's these little baths everywhere. And they're called mikvahs, and there's these little bathtubs. And so a lot of scribes had to use them, so they kept one near them. So anytime that they would write the name of the Lord, they would go and they would take a bath. So some, there are some passages that the name of the Lord is like every third word or whatever. So it's like the name of the Lord, okay, time out. <laughs> take a bath, dry off, clothes on. The name of the Lord, you know what I mean? Like you're just, you're going. And, and, it, and it shows you and reminds you of the, the need for continual repentance. That to come into the presence of the Lord requires a reflection of the heart and not a casualness. And that it's easy for us because we come and go and, it, you know, we put on our clothes, we do our thing, we think about we're going to get our ATB order in line, it's already there, we get all that stuff. And even while the preacher is preaching, there may be something you need to add, so you're adding that, right? And so we got all this, and so we're very casual about worship. But in the old days, like you clean on Saturday right before church, you got prepared. There was a whole ritual and a preparation for getting yourself ready to be presentable before the Lord. And not that we're to be religious, not that we were to be legalistic, but what are we doing on a regular basis to put ourselves into the presence of the Lord, to be reminded of the fact of who he is and who we are not, so that we can recognize our rebellion. Against you and you alone have I sinned, have I done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is always just. Now, this is actually a statement of trust, to trust that whatever punishment, whatever judgment comes from the mouth of God upon us is right and just as a statement of trust that, hey, he always does the right thing at the right time in the right way for the betterment of us, but also for his kingdom. And even though we recognize our rebellion, his judgment is always just. So forgiveness is more than just saying I'm sorry. And forgiveness is available, but it's a right heart that's ready for repentance that leads to forgiveness. And it has nothing to do with what we can earn or what we can say, but totally on his judgment. The second thing that I want you to get about forgiveness is forgiveness is for us, but also for others. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says it this way, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you, which is an interesting thing. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, 
We want unlimited refills on forgiveness for ourselves. But for others, I don't know if I want them to be forgiven of that. I want sweet revenge. And God, let me tell you how I want them to get sweet revenge and at what time of the day and how much and the pain that it's going to cause. Because their pain needs to be at least as much as the pain that I feel. Peter asked this question of Jesus. Jesus, how much should we forgive other people? And there was a teaching of the day whenever Amos had, had taught and it could carry through that for the Jewish people that three times you could offer forgiveness. And after the third time, let them have it. And so here, this is what Peter's been, the disciples have been taught and they've been living with. And so they kind of have this mindset of three times, three strikes, you're out. And so Peter asked, do I really have to forgive others? Do I have to forgive and mean it? And Jesus gives an answer that changes our lives as followers of Jesus. God forgives you no matter what. And in Matthew chapter 18, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? So think about it. Peter's being gracious. He's not just doing three times. He's doing three times two plus one. Like, that's grace. And I'm sure the other disciples are like, ooh, man, Peter, that's good. That's good. Like seven times, I would have said four. Peter's willingness to forgive seven times is a generous act. And here's what Jesus says. No. And so I imagine in that moment, some of the other disciples like eight, nine. Jesus says, no, not seven times. But 70 times seven. Not about you. I, I can't keep a record of wrongs that long. In other words, Jesus knows our heart and he knows that, hey, we're like, I can forgive you. I can forgive you. It's getting hard to forgive you. And Jesus says 490 times, pull out your little book and keep track. It's an impossibility. And Jesus says that's how we're to offer forgiveness. Because that's to the level of his forgiveness for us. The list is so long that we can't even keep track. And Jesus tells him a little parable. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Is this the IRS? I don't know. Maybe. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. And he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. In the old days, if you couldn't pay your debts, in that moment, anytime they decided to call in a debt and you could not pay it, you were then put into prison until you could. And if you were in prison, how likely are you to earn money to pay back your debts? Not likely. So in other words, this is a sentence to prison for debt. So this man is then pleading on the other half, on his behalf, and saying, listen, I will never be able to repay you if I'm in prison. I, I owe you millions of dollars. At least let me get some money to repay you back. And so the king offers forgiveness to this man. He offers grace and says, yes, I will let you go. And as the story goes on, we hear that the man, almost immediately after walking out of the king's presence, out into the courtyard, he sees someone pass by that works for him and owes him money. A couple hundred bucks, maybe. And he grabs him by the tunic and says, you owe me money. Pay up. 
And God says, I don't have the money on me. You're like, you just shook all the shekels out of me. I don't have any more. And so the guy says, well, you're going to prison. I'm going to put you in debtor's prison until you can pay me back. And all the while, others that had seen the interaction that this guy had just had with the king now sees this interaction. They go and report it to the king that had just offered grace to this guy that had offered owed a lot of money and says, here's what he just said. And the king took him and said, why? Would you not at least offer the amount of forgiveness that I offered to you to the other person? This is a struggle for us. Is that we have a lot of stuff that we hide. We have a lot of stuff that we even wonder if God can really forgive. If there's stuff in the depths of our heart and our soul that we've swept way back into the closets of our life. And we don't want anybody to know about it. The things that we think about, the things that we've done, the things that we haven't done. And for whatever reason, we have this guilt about it and we just hide it. And we're like, God, I, don't, I know that you say that you're going to forgive me, but I'm not even going to bring it to your attention. So this, we struggle with this, not only with God, but with other people. And saying, God, I've, I've received some of your forgiveness, but I don't want them to receive as much as I have. This idea of forgiveness is to cover over, to put out into a wilderness and to, to dig up a hole and to place the stuff there and to cover it up and to move it so that you could walk past it and not find it. That that's the kind of forgiveness that God offers us, that he has covered over our sins and placed them away and that we can walk over them and he would not even remember for us the GPS coordinates of where he placed our sins. Now, forgiveness is not forgetting or minimizing our, our offenses. Forgiveness is not necessarily full reconciliation to another person or trusting in the other person. But with God, it is. Because, listen, there are some people who have offended us and hurt us, and they do not need to be back into our lives. Now, we need to offer forgiveness. But that doesn't mean we forget. We need to, in God's strength and power and time and in his spirit, offer forgiveness. That may mean for some of us, some of you have been offended on levels that I cannot even fathom. And that's something that you and God have got to work through. And again, it may not be something you ever forget, but to forgive, why? So that you can receive the healing that you need so that you can receive the freedom because the things that were done to you are not your fault. They're not even your sins, but you're carrying them as if they're the weight of your sins. And so that God says to us, offer forgiveness to this person who does not deserve it. I get it. But the weight of their sin is weighing you down and you have to bury it and walk away from it so that you can have healing in it. To let go of it and to stop replaying that tape over and over and over again and to trust that the justice of God is always right. 
And then that allows you to begin to heal. And again, it may not be just right in that moment, but it's the beginning process of that healing. And the third thing I want you to get is this, is that forgiveness is the hardest to offer ourselves. Because we know ourselves. We know our stuff. And it tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our wickedness. Part of it is, do we believe that the sufficiency of what Christ did on the cross covers my stuff? Do you think that you are too evil and wicked and unforgivable to receive the fullness of what Christ did on the cross? That's the transaction you have to make. That's the belief that what Jesus did on the cross covers even that. Instead, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, instead of all these other things of living like Gentiles, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Get rid of all bitterness. This message may have been cut short, but don't worry. There's more to explore. You can connect with us to complete this message and to find other content. We are on Apple Podcasts, where we can be found by searching for Crosspoint Community Church LaGrange, Texas. Subscribe to stay updated with our latest episodes. Or find us on YouTube. Visit at youtube.com slash crosspointlagrange for video versions of our messages and other great content. Hit subscribe to never miss a video. Or find us on our website. Discover everything about us and what's going on at crosspointchurchtx.org. Access podcast episodes, events, resources, and lots more. We'd love to see you in person. Or join us online to continue the conversation and stay connected as we point people to Jesus.